Welcome to the Change Management Review Podcast, where we bring the best of change management to you. In this Meet the Expert episode, Managing Editor Brian Gorman and Michael Hines, author of The Myth-Guided Mind, get very practical about the role of change practitioners and change leaders in today's workplace uncertainty. We hope you enjoy this installment of the Change Management Review Podcast. Welcome to the Change Management Review Podcast. I'm Brian Gorman, Managing Editor of Change Management Review, and my guest today is Michael Hines. Michael is the author of The Myth-Guided Mind, which is the book that really drew me to him. In his career, he has already cycled through a lifetime's worth of jobs. He's worked as a butcher, a banker, a painter, and a psychotherapist. These days, business owners, creative executives, and professionals from all avenues seek out his coaching because of its power and simplicity. They're looking for individual advice, whether in their own lives or in their organizational roles, on how to help themselves and their teams survive and thrive amidst the great resignation. Michael is a resident of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and welcome, Mike. Thanks a lot, Brian. Great to be here. So in preparing for this podcast, first of all, before we go there, I, I want to tell you the power of your book is really inspirational because you, you talk about your life and a, a personal trauma and how that has informed how you go into the world, as, as trauma always does. And maybe if we can start there, why is that message so important to the community of change practitioners that Change Management Review serves? Well, I think for a couple of big reasons. Um, one is, you know, given the times that we're in, great resignation, great reshuffle, a lot of people are in a lot of change and they're feeling the stress of that. One of the things that we know from variety of fields and when we look at expertise is that when we add pressure, we kind of see what people are made of, as it were, in a traditional sense. But what we also reveal is what our lowest common denominator is. And the trouble is, if we've had a major significant trauma, as I had, or a long-term situation of trauma in our lives, it brings us back to places where we're not that functional unless we've done some therapy, unless we've done some real training, like there are ways through it. If the first place that we hit it is in the workplace and we've got dysfunctional things coming in, when as a change practitioner, we say, hey, we've got a great idea. We've got a great solution. Uh, The workforce is going to love this. The leader already loves this. And we see lots of infighting. We see irrational behaviors. Um, We see sabotage. These are things that as change practitioners, we're all familiar with. Sometimes it's, you know, at the CEO level that things get sabotaged. If there's trauma back there and you can hear stats as high as 70% of our population in this country have some kind of significant trauma, it's really good to know how to handle that and in a sense, be ahead of that. There's no way of just looking at a person and saying, hey, they got it all together. They've never been through anything tough. 
maybe it's because they were through such tough times that they got to the place that they are. And we see that all the time in athletics. That is what brings about the greatness, but there's kind of a catch. So we want to be aware of that as change practitioners and make sure that we've kind of got, you know, a therapist on call, as it were, and our leaders are kind of awake that, you know, if we open up the door of empathy, people may really open up and we got to kind of be ready to have what's the right container for the workplace. So again, you and I have, have talked about this before. You're not saying that CEOs and, and organizational leaders and managers should be therapists. No, absolutely not. I think that, you know, what's, what's always happened. I mean, you go back to Freud. He said, you know, there are only two things that actually cure us. One is work and one is love. And then he developed psychoanalysis. So, so figure that out. But um, <laughs> I think the workplace for so many people for such a long time has been the place where they can go to kind of have a safe, stable place where they can be functional. And believe it or not, that carries over into the personal life. That is one of the ways in which we become healthy over time, as long as we've got a healthy relationship with work. Uh, what's happening now is that some people are, you know, there's, there's people have died, people have lost careers, like there's, there's major change going on um, that's really affecting people. And if they bring that to an open door, empathetic leader, the leader may hear more than they're ready to handle. You know, if you've got an MBA, you didn't get a PhD in psychology, like you're not equipped, but you can listen and say, hey, you know what, here's the piece of what we're talking about that we can handle in the workplace. And you know what, we can also make sure that you've got time to walk your children to school, or we can make sure that you can only come into work, you know, under some kind of hybrid model that works so that you can take care and make sure your elderly in your home is cared for. Like any number of things happen here, as you and I have talked about. There's so many situations we can't even count right now, and they're very personal and very real. A couple of things that, that come to mind listening to here, Mike. One is certainly one of the driving forces, one of many driving forces we're seeing behind the great resignation is the failure of organizations to provide mental health services for their employees. Another that we're seeing is uh, organizations that continue the authoritarian kind of command and control management style that doesn't allow for the empathy, doesn't allow for the employee to share that there's more to their lives than the demands of work between nine and five. So for me, one of this, the things that this brings to mind through the lens of a change practitioner is the importance for us, whether we're internal or external, whether we're coaches or consultants to, if you will, speak truth to power, to make sure that those that we are seeking to guide through all of this disruption understand the reality of the situation through the lens of their people and not just through their own eyes. I think that's huge. And, you know, we can even extend it because there, there's, um, you know, if you look at things like hashtag snowflake and so on, there is these uh, words like empathy being used, but people are saying, you know, that's a millennial kind of response is like, Hey, I'm not a snowflake and I'm going to take that word back and take the power out of it, but I'm not putting up with lip service. 
I want to know that you actually care about me. You don't have to be my therapist, but I want to know that my ideas are considered. I want to be taken seriously for them. I want to know that you care about me as a human being. And I'm more than just, you know, one piece of a profit and loss. That piece, like when, when we're in this, we need to have those connection conversations. Like, who is this person in front of me? It's, it's a bit tough right now if we're doing it over Zoom, obviously. Uh, for those of us lucky enough to still, still see human beings, it's like we can have those conversations or a cup of coffee or a jog or something. But it really, it really does matter more than ever before. Uh, some of this is generational. You know, we've got Gen Z entering the workforce and it's even more so. Like they are not of the mind that they're going to spend one one lifetime in one role and put up with command and control. They're expecting dialogue and they're expecting caring, whether it's full on empathy, you know, or whether it's some of these catchy words, like you still have to run a business. There is a bottom line. There is a scorecard, but there's many ways to get this done. And I think it's, it's got to be in connection with employees. What I'm really hearing you say is something that, that Gallup called out in their, their study of how millennials want to work and live. In that study, they actually identify six cultural changes, and we're going to come back and talk about culture, but six cultural changes that organizations really need to make in order to engage and get the best out of the millennial workforce. And again, we're hearing this has grown well beyond the millennial workforce in all directions as a result of COVID. But one of those six cultural changes was a millennial call for organizations that shift their focus from my job to my life. Yeah. And, you know, this, um, this idea that I'm, you know, working to live or living to work has really come into question. The millennials are looking at it. I was speaking to a business owner the other day and he's figured out how to, you know, homeschool his children, work personally himself about 15 hours a week on the business and has outsourced most of the rest. His wife is also a business owner. And like that was unheard of. You know, I'm I'm 50, so I'm a generation before him. <laughs> and I, that idea never would have occurred to me. But that is, you know, them as a unit, what they figured out of how they're going to raise their children, they are putting their life first and having a ton of family. And he flat out says, look, I'm not going to outsource my family. To me, that's crazy. My parents and everybody we knew were raised that way and it didn't make sense. And, and it's not only him, it's across the board. And there, and every definition of what my life and what's impo- most important in my life, um, again, is individual. And we do have to kind of figure out how to deal with all these individual demands. I want to go back to, again, the change practitioner. So certainly speaking truth to power, if you will, about what leaders, what managers uh, should be attuned to is important. There's, there's another piece of this that I want to highlight, and that is a piece of neuroscience that's really important. As human beings, we receive approximately 11 million bits of data a second. Of that 11 million bits of data per second, we can process approximately 134 bits of data. So 
our experience, our response to the environment, our trauma, if you will, sometimes, whatever our, our history is, what's going on around us, all of those things affect what gets through our filters into our consciousness. And with the uncertainty of what the future of the workplace holds for people, there is a continuing feeling for many, which started over two years ago now, that everything is changing, everything is unstable. And it's not. (laughs) (laughs) So as change practitioners, again, whether we're working one-on-one with individual leaders or whether we're working on how this organization is going to move through the ongoing uncertainty, it's important that we go back in, in my mind to the William Bridges model of you know, what is continuing and, and what is stopping, what is in that neutral zone, if you will, but help people at the individual and at the different levels of the organization reconnect with what anchored them before. And you know, these anchors are are so important. I mean, to to kind of there's there's new models around neuroscience coming, you know, with Lisa Feldman Barrett, and it's actually looking at, hey, our brain is proactively managing our body budget for energy, nutrition, and yeah, you know, we've gotten ahead of evolution, and so we do have to kind of recognize that, you know, a new email isn't a life threat; otherwise, we can be threatened, you know, hundreds of times a day or thousand some some cases, and we can take those kind of small data points, you know, among those 11 million and get overwhelmed by the incoming information or, uh, and a lot of people have to develop a daily ritual to do this. We can say, okay, these are the things that haven't changed. And, you know, in a company, it can be, it can be roles. It can be customers. It can be our, our culture and our brand message. Like there are some fundamentals. We have pillars that are foundational. And, you know, these days, some of us are are having to kind of fix cracks in foundations. I can appreciate that, but there, there is an absolute kind of critical component to feel safe, connected, and then get creative rather than be in the position of overwhelm and fear that the perception, because it is only a perception that everything's changing all the time. And now the sky is falling. So before we initiate new change and, you know, if we're in a change, a change saturation situation, which a lot of us are, uh, we need to kind of say, okay, what is normal? What can I absolutely count on? And who are the people that I can count on? And, you know, a call right now and the, the kind of the call to action for a lot of leaders is to be um, that central figure in whatever way it is. What stability am I providing? so that we can navigate the rough waters, you know, in a sense, you know, what's not changing? Well, the waters are rough. (laughs) (laughs) I think, I think we have this kind of, you know, especially we turn on the news is like another tsunami today. We just had one yesterday, but it, it isn't quite like that. Like everything is exaggerated in the world that we live in. Uh, times are hard. But there's also people absolutely knocking it out of the park that have never done better in business and personal lives. And we've got to learn from what's going right there. And some of what they're doing is they're finding ways to see the opportunity in the choppy waters and in the high winds. 
So again, um, if we come back to the leader's responsibility, we as change practitioners need to put ourselves in positions where we can influence leaders. Before we started recording, you, you talked a little bit about the importance of the leader setting clarity of vision right now. Could you say something about that now? Well, I mean, that is the leader's role. Um, as as we're talking, you know, in a couple of conversations, there's a lot of chaos. And, you know, whether it's old military chaos, uh, athletic chaos, uh, cultural chaos, times of great unrest, it's up to several somebodies. And, you know, in an organization, it's going to be, you know, the leader or the group of leaders to say, okay, things are chaotic right now, but where do we want to end up? And that's actually setting the story, which is, you know, a kind of a foundational piece of creating a culture. What is the vision? Where are we now? And where do we want to end up? And I think as change practitioners, we actually have to help the leaders get clear on this piece right now, because it's some, it, you know, it's, it's like a lot of people haven't even had a chance to take a breath. And we need to do that to see six months into the future, five years into the future to develop a story of success and then actually communicate it. Our leaders need our help as change practitioners these days. You know, me in the role of coaching, but at consultant level, like wherever you happen to be in this picture, people are floundering and they just need to know they've got good people on the team so that they can pick a direction and then do what they're best at, which is leading, influencing, bringing people along. And I tell you, when this works, uh, the whole staff is relieved. They feel better and produce more. You mentioned culture a moment ago. And yep. I, I'd like to go there next. First of all, let me give my definition of culture. Culture is the mindsets we bring and the behaviors that grow out of those mindsets in the workplace. So there are some elements of the culture that certainly can be anchors from pre-COVID in many, if not virtually all organizations. We may have the same relationship with our customers. We may have the same relationships, although lived differently mm. with our coworkers and so forth. But as the new workplace takes shape, and for some organizations, that's a four-day work week or a hybrid four-day work week or a work-from-anywhere culture, et cetera, et cetera. We need to be very intentional about orchestrating the new culture because there will be a new culture. Absolutely. <laughs> People will have mindsets. They will have behaviors. And it's interesting, again, talking with you earlier, Mike, we were talking about the importance of training our customers in the context of that culture. What do you have to offer in that regard? Well, there is a, a real reality with all of the demands, internal, external, customer, you know, some cases shareholder or, you know, outside parties, we can get lost. But if we've invested any time in our business and developing a brand, there are things that we do really well and that people come to us for. It's otherwise we're not in business and some people aren't. And it's almost like at the leader level, we need to have a reminder there, like, okay, this is what I do well, and then be in dialogue with customers. So if I provide this service, um, if, you know, if I'm providing this creative 
and I'm a marketing firm, um, I don't need to be doing that 24-7. I need to meet a deadline, and I can do that by communicating with the customer. Hey, you know, what's the need? What's the brief? Okay, here's our pitch. Come back. And actually train the customers that we don't need to be jumping through hoops 24-7. It's not good for us. It's not good for them. When you hear business owners that have had these conversations with customers, they're like, well, yeah, you know, I, I take the weekends off or I do this or I just want to know that you're going to give me what I need to succeed when I need it. And ideally before I need it, but we need to have those conversations with our customers and say, okay, my shop's open from nine to five, Monday to Thursday. And, you know, for emergencies, I've got this after hour service, like whatever the case may be, but a part of setting that culture and actually having one that allows our own employees and our own company to thrive is not being on demand all the time, having success and then rest and success and then rest and then oops, mistake, let's fix it and then correct. And that's that's certainly a part of addressing this whole mental health and, and uh, work-life blending, if you will, question. As I'm listening to you, I'm thinking of a conversation that I had with uh, Charlotte Lockhart, who's CEO and co-founder of the Global Four-Day Workweek Movement. And Charlotte said, don't tell me I'm getting the same value out of an employee, their 13th or 14th hour of work as I am the first hour of work. Absolutely. We all have capacity for concentration. And, you know, I mean, tech is doing things and I think we need to leverage some of these things like you and I are having kind of the employee side of things or the, the kind of the personal side of things. But in the last couple of years, we've had huge tech breakthroughs and we can actually leverage it. Now, we don't need to be counting keystrokes necessarily, but we can say, wow, my employee is more productive because I hear that every single day. My workforce is more productive in this messy hybrid world I'm in than they used to be. Well, distractions are down and, you know, 14 hour days are down with a one hour commute on either end of it. So people are actually getting more of what they need. And for the most part, people really want to do a good job. Now, if, if you don't have people working for you doing a good job, you've got a hiring problem and, a, you know, and maybe an engagement problem. And, you know, maybe you should be checking Glassdoor for the reviews on your company. But there is a reality where we know that human beings, especially in the knowledge field, have capacities and we can do things like there's, there's small techniques like chunking our time so that we're working effectively. We can be teaching our employees that. And then we don't have them sitting grinding for 14 hours in ways that are just not at all effective. We've covered a lot of ground, Mike. Oh, yeah. (laughs) What else would you like to add as we wrap this up? The the one thing that that is really kind of cool right now is the number of people that I'm getting to talk to that are all coming up with creative ways to move forward. It's messy. People are making mistakes, but people are trying again. So what I'm most impressed by is the grit and determination that people are kind of bringing to the forefront, no matter what their story or where they've come from. So I'd like to say, you know, on that note, we are an incredibly innovative time. And I'm really appreciative that, uh, you know, I get to talk to people like you on a daily basis now and other people and people are looking me up. But I do think, you know, the, the big message I'd like people to go home with is, you know, find some kind of ritual for yourself, find where your pillars of strength are, and then turn on the creative brain, deal with fears if there are any, and build something great going forward. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Brian.
We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Change Management Review Podcast with Brian Gorman, Managing Editor of the Change Management Review, and Michael Hines. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and like us on LinkedIn.